This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swans Crossing! Entertaining frantic notes from you late at night. Oh my gosh. I can't believe they changed the actor for Grant Booth's dad. Ah! For for Garrett Booth's dad. I'm so weirded out by that. (laughs) So good. Jeez. Well, here we are. We're back with season three of Gotta Grow Up Sometime, a Swans Crossing retrospective. And I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler Jeffrey. And uh, we watched episode 22 of Swan's Crossing, which was uh, a ride, a real ride. It really, it really was. I was, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. No, um, that's what I'm looking for. No sarcasm? No, that's not the, <laughs> anyway. For <but> reals? Yeah. <laughs> I did, for reals. It's a good one. The, the show really does get, like, like I said before, like I said last season, it screws around for about 15 episodes and then it finally starts to take off. Thank goodness. And from here on out, everything's pretty action-packed. Or if it's not action-packed, it's at least bafflingly weird. And that's always fun. True story. Hey, um, are we going to open with your big news? Oh, yeah. Um, We are at some point, uh, as I'm recording this now on Friday, September 24th, which you guys will hear this about a month later, um, we are going to be setting up an interview at some point in the future here with Eddie Robinson, who played Neil. So I uh, was super grateful to Eddie that he is willing to come on our ridiculous podcast and talk about his experience on Swan's Crossing. Um, I've reached out to some other cast members as well and cross fingers that hopefully they will be able to do it or willing, <laughs> willing to do it. <laughs> Dear listeners, I hope you are as excited about this as I am because I lost my mind <laughs> when I got this text from living. I was like, What? <laughs> Someone actually is willing to talk to us? It's very exciting. Have they listened to the podcast? I assume no. I don't know because he just followed the podcast's account on Instagram out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, if he looked me up, then I should probably ask him if he's willing. willing Heck yeah. And he was. Oh my gosh. But he's got a busy schedule, so it'll take a little while to do it. I I might do it as um, the bonus material between seasons three and four. We'll see. We'll just kind of see. Oh, I love that. Um, Also, I want to say hi again to all the listeners who followed us here from Sweet Valley Diaries. We are now up from 17 dedicated listeners to 24. Hey! (laughs) So hi to all seven of you. (laughs) Hello! What a great season it was back in season two. So much important action happened. Uh, Garrett got his comeuppance. Sydney enacted her revenge that took her 21 episodes to start building up. And, uh-huh. uh, and here we are. We're in back the in the aftermath. Yes. And here we, we, should, we should look back on your predictions from uh, the end of season two, which was a while ago. So, uh, yeah, I, some of these predictions I feel very good about. I feel very good about. <laughs> you predicted the only scene in Mila's bedroom 
the next time we saw we saw her would be with Mila on the phone. Everything else no. would take place in other places. Not yeah. really true. No. Uh, you predicted we would not go to the police station, but if we did, all the shots would be super tight, so you couldn't tell that the set sucks. That, I guess, was true, because we did not go to the police station. You predicted there would be a conversation between Garrett and Grant Booth about why Garrett was arrested. Grant would re-up his commitment to the mayoral race so he can crush Muffy for what her daughter has done to his son. I think that's nailed it. That was the one I felt really good about. Yeah. Uh, Although... As we'll find out, Garrett's dad was so angry about this that he transmogrified into a different human being altogether. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, you predicted that Garrett would be kicked off the baseball team and JT would start pitching. We don't know that JT was pitching, but Garrett definitely uh, had that tough conversation with the coach. So well done on that. Yeah, Coach Tuna had a lot of uh, a lot of work in this episode. Yes, you predicted no Owen or Sandy. That was correct. Boom. You said that we would have lots of Neil in this episode, that he would be figuring out the computer virus, etc., and that Neil would start to suspect ominous influence in Swan's Crossing. I'm going to say that was all correct. Yeah. And you predicted that Glory and JT would be blissful together. We didn't really see them together, but they are both didn't blissful. Glory at all. But JT is certainly feeling very good about their relationship in this one. So that yes, kind he of is. Well, there's one more. You predicted there would be a follow-up from the Countess about how upset she was that the party was ruined by hooligans. Sadly, that did not no. happen. No, but can you not just imagine? Oh yeah, no one else. No one else on this show would say the word hooligans the way that the Countess would. Hooligans, hooligans, <laughs> feathers in the Swedish meatballs. <laughs> Oh, I love the Countess. Um, there is a, a near near future episode coming up. I think it's this season that uh, truly lets the Countess shine like he, she has never shown before. And you are going to poop your pants when you get to it. It's oh, so good. I look forward to pooping my pants. Words <laughs> that I've never said before. <laughs> All That's right, good. before we before we jump into the recap, let's talk about the thumbnail. Yeah, what did you think was going on in this thumbnail? So we appear to be at the Swans Club. There are these cute little curtain changing rooms in the background. Sydney appears to be getting up from her chair and pushing the person across from her, which from the hair color I assumed was Mila, but the shape of the shirt would indicate that Mila is wearing a fat suit. <laughs> That's what that looked like. From behind, it looks like a blue and white button down that has inflated like a beach ball. <laughs> well, in the early 90s, it was very hip to wear drastically oversized clothing. So I can see how you would feel that way. <laughs> it was, I mean, in that in that particular shot, she definitely does not look like that in the in the scene itself. But in that particular shot, it does look enormous. I mean, it, it really looks like a Eddie Murphy Norbit outfit. <laughs> It does. And um, Sydney wearing a bikini does indeed look like she is violently assaulting someone in that shot. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, but we open with Garrett and his dad heading back home after his dad sprung him from the clink. <laughs> As we Do know, we? Do we? who is this man? It's not Garrett's dad. It's a different actor from the last version we saw of Grant Booth. Oh my gosh. I was shocked. It's so funny. Like, we don't know why either. It's not like that actor left the show because he actually continues to appear throughout the show in other smaller roles, including in this episode. It's just like... What? Yeah, I'll, I'll point him out later when we get to him. But, like, for some reason, they just decided 
just sub in some other dude. <laughs> you weren't it. good enough. You weren't good enough. We need a better Grant Booth. It's so, and I thought the other guy did a fine job. Yeah. I don't know why they did this. It's so weird. I liked the other guy. Yeah, me too. He was fine. I mean, uh, this guy's fine too, but like there was no problem with the other dude. And he was blonde, which, you know, worked better. So and he, had a, he had a voice like an angel. He Ugh. did. Garrett's new daddy is is mad, obviously. Yeah, very upset. Garrett still, I mean, it's obviously very late or very early. Garrett still has the yellow face mask on from the party. He They kind of have a... a serious discussion on the porch before they go inside the guy garrett's dad says you bested by a rutledge how much worse does it get (laughs) indeed indeed i also okay there's a couple of things that really need to get talked about the first one being one of the very first things that happens is that grant tells garrett to sit down (laughs) garrett sits on the arm of the porch love seat and grant tells him to sit in the seat how many times has he told him not to sit on the arm Literally, like, I'm going to say 120 seconds later, Grant himself sits on the arm of the love seat. (laughs) Do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) Yeah. We also discover in this scene that Garrett and Glory have an older brother, Grant Halsey Booth III. Oh, and he is perfect. And it's clearly like a sore spot with Garrett because it kind of sounds in this dialogue like Grant constantly brings up Garrett's perfect older brother and and Garrett can't stand this nonstop comparison. Typically when one finds out, you know, more about a character's tragic backstory, it makes them sympathize more. That was not the case for me in this one. I was like, why didn't they why didn't they just make this show about Grant Halsey Booth the third? Probably probably much better dude. Garrett makes some sarcastic comment about his older brother, and Grant says, It takes courage to remain sarcastic in the face of overwhelming odds. And Garrett's like <laughs> how do you want me to take that? And his dad thinks about it for a second and he says, as a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Booth's gonna booth. (laughs) Booth's gonna booth. You know how it is. I do think that the only purpose that this scene really serves in the greater overarching narrative of this episode is that Grant or Garrett is grounded. Yes. Before they go in the house, Garrett gets the news that he is grounded womp yeah womp. and then we cut to sydney dropping pink feathers all over garrett's photo at mila's very satisfied in surveying the damage she's like burying Grant garrett under a mountain of pink feathers she she tosses a giant stuffed bear and dances around the room as carnival music plays uh and says oh what a beautiful morning before posing for the wall of televisions and one of the primary questions that I have about this scene is, is Mila in the bathroom? Where is Mila? No, you can see Mila for a second. She's sleeping in her bed. So this is like the morning oh, after. But okay. where are all the other girls? Like all mm. the girls have vanished. It's just Sydney and Mila, like early yep. in the morning. So weird. Yep. And we cut to a computer screen, not of the Baldies. What are the what are these other guys called? How are they? Are they the feds? I don't know. I, I think they're supposed to be feds, but one of them is Garrett's former dad. There he is. He's back already. Oh my gosh! Yeah, there he I is. Don't, I don't think I realized that. It's all right. He's kind of shadowy. You, you have to recognize him by his voice alone. So we cut. We cut to this computer screen, and we hear the voices talking. The computer screen reads Operation Intercept, and uh, one of the voices says. 
Professor Van is getting close. <laughs> Too close. Seven of the critical elements are in Van's hands, which instantly brought to mind, for me, how did they land in Van's hands? <laughs> Who gave the commands? And are we sure he understands the demands of the plans? Wow. You are such a theater nerd. <laughs> oh, man. You're welcome, listeners. That's that, how my brain works. That was a Nathan KJ original, y'all. <laughs> so dumb. So um, oh. as they're talking about this stuff, the screen displays a crawl of what I guess are the critical elements, kind of. Uh, the list. Can right? I read them? Yes, please do. They are in this sequence. Critical mass. Not an element. Colligative. Not a word. Prepartic. I guess could be a word, but the kind of word you invent because no actual word exists for the usage you need. Cesium. That is an element. Clock. That's just a noun. Components. That is a plural noun. Also not an element. Mendelevium. Also not an element, but maybe kind of like adamantium, like a made-up element for fiction purposes. Excellent. It's like an obtainium. Yeah. Momentum. Not an element. And cryostat. Sounds like the name of a pharmacological company. (laughs) What the hell is this? I don't know. One of the feds says, it's very important that the others not find him first. Van's beginning to leave a trail, and our agent is an exceptional hunter. And then he shows the other a file that says restricted in big, bold letters. Ominous music plays. The two men stand simultaneously, walk away, And then the camera focuses in on the folder as a hand comes from off camera and grabs it. Is it supposed to be, like, did one of them forget their secret file and they went back to get it? Or is this, like, (laughs) a a counter agent who snatches it off their desk? I don't know what is happening here. We can't leave this here at the the business center of the Holiday Inn. so hard you triggered my asthma oh no <laughs> i failed you oh well we cut to the library where jt is recounting how great it was to crash the slumber party and neil is glad he didn't go because ooh girls and ooh social interaction jt is gloating about what sydney did to garrett trying to get neil interested in this conversation to, to get him to shut up and start working neil finally inquires <laughs> All right, fine. Just tell me what happened so you will stop talking about this. (laughs) So JT kind of gives him the the rundown, but when he mentions that the cops showed up, Neil yells, The cops! (laughs) There is so much shouting in this library. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Question. Do you think the library set is repurposed Rutledge House? Oh, definitely. Without a doubt. Okay. I recognize those wood panels. I was like, hmm. Neil seems to be thrilled that, that... JT is satisfied with what's happened to Garrett because now they can boot up Professor Van. Because as you recall, JT was essentially putting all sciencey work on hold until he dealt with his nemesis. Yes. So uh, they're right back into it now. Neil is raring to go. They head over to Mr. Han, the librarian, to pick up some science journal pages they'd requested. And while Mr. Han is getting them, Neil kind of grumbles a little bit about how JT is still hung up on glory. And speaking of glory, JT is miffed that he gave glory the book of poetry. This argument carries on for quite some time throughout the episode as everyone is essentially getting on JT's case about being a poet. I I do want to bring up a couple of things about this tiny scene because I love Mr. Han. One of Mr. Han's lines is, no one has requested the May 1937 physics review journal since May. 
1937. <laughs> and then as Neil uh, is, as JT is giving Neil the business about glory and the poems, Mr. Han slaps JT with the journal that he's gone and fetched. And he quotes Robert Frost's Two Roads Diverged in a Wood, which <laughs> it took me, it took me until literally this moment to realize it's because they're talking about poetry. <laughs> he thought he was just, this is just Mr. Han's habit to just it quote was so Robert weird. <laughs> it was so weird to me. I was like, where is that coming from? JT kind of connects with Mr. Han about their shared love for Robert Frost. And Neil teases him a little bit about being a poet. And they exchange some unbearably flirtatious dialogue before JT <laughs> chases Neil away. And Mr. Han looks after them fondly, knowing that someday those two boys are going to kiss. <laughs> we cut back to Mila and Sydney. Either they are in pajamas very late in the morning, or these scenes are out of sequence. <laughs> Mila is on the rhino couch staring at Garrett's framed photo as Sydney pretends to dust feathers off the table. Sydney seems very energized by her own evil. Like she is is delightedly cleaning up this mess and just like has the biggest smile on her face. She's like, woo, this is great. Look at all the destruction I wrought. Uh, mm -hmm. Mila makes a sad comment that nothing will ever be the same because now she doesn't have a boyfriend. And uh, Sydney tries to cheer her up and gets her to admit that they had fun last night. And Mila's like, yeah, it was pretty fun. Uh, there's a brief moment where they uh, they notice that someone has fed Tutu some caramels, which is apropos of nothing, as I mention it. And it was apropos of nothing in the scene. They Sydney proposes that they go out, leave the mess behind, go to the pool and go swimming, uh, offers to pick up teaching Mila where how to swim where Garrett left off. And they have this beautiful little conspiratorial smile before we cut over to the booth porch. Garrett sadly pushes his mini bike into the frame and says, I guess I won't be riding you for a while. It is key to note, he has pushed his mini bike directly in front of the front door. His dad's going to love that. He goes... Yeah goes to check his hair in the side view mirror it falls off and breaks and he picks up the broken mirror and gazes into it with an angry look on his face it should be noted that the mirror has been fully taped together on the back <laughs> so he picks it up and it's all just sort of like it's fantastic because you know usually when mirrors shatter they go they, they spread out a little bit more <laughs> this one is laying there in pieces all together <laughs> Yeah, he's able to Great. scoop it up and keep it all intact very easily. The sad sax music in the background <laughs> under this, oh, so good. Oh, so great. Oh, so good. Uh, we cut to commercial. When we come back, JT is bringing his mini bike to the tool and die while Neil is still tormenting him about poetry. Barrick is there. Callie's working on the bench right behind him. JT's still pissed off that Neil gave away the poems to glory. Barrick asks about how it went. Neil says he was studying because obviously he didn't go. JT asks why didn't why Callie didn't fill Barrick in. And I was like, JT, it's because he's a grown-ass man, you dingus. Yeah, like, he should not care about this. That's why. Yep. It's very weird yeah. that he does. Ugh. <laughs> as as usual, Callie spots something on JT's bike. His his fuel line is sticking out. Yeah, it is Callie. Yes. Yeah. JT is impressed with their observation skills. Mm -hmm. uh, Barrick is still hounding after details about what happened at the party full of 14-year-old girls, though. 
and JT mentions face masks, and Barrett Barrett gets right up in Callie's face to taunt her it's about wearing so, a face mask. So oh. gross. She oh. glares at him and says, wrench. <laughs> I was gripped by an overwhelming urge to shove this grown-ass man out of this child's personal bubble. Like, get yes. out of her face, you creep. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, can we talk for a second about how in this episode, the affectionate term that Neil typically uses for JT uh, has been reversed. JT is now calling Neil Buckyball. Yeah, from this point on, they just constantly refer to each other as Buckyball. Because they're in love. Oh, that's, (laughs) but JT does mention that he and Glory are back on again. Garrett's in the doghouse, so he's happy, except, you know, that Neil gave one of his old poetry books to Glory. And we find out that Barrick apparently is also a poet, a pro baseball player and a poet, and he was published, which Callie is the one who sort of draws this out of him. Yeah. Okay. And listen, I have to say something here, having a small amount of expertise on this subject. Not to downplay the accomplishments of any published poets out there, but it's not like a gigantic deal to be a published poet. Like you can just submit your poetry to magazines and if you're halfway decent, eventually you'll get a few of them published. Like it's a numbers game, right? You keep throwing poetry at the mags and sooner or later it's going to be the right subject and tone for whatever their theme is for that month. I mean, it's not like Barrick won the Ruth Lilly Prize for poetry or anything like that. Like he's a published poet, big woo. So am I. Like, it's not that exciting. <laughs> and uh, we cut to Garrett back on the porch because apparently if, if scenes, if scenes are not in Glory's room, the only other location at the booth house is the porch. Yeah. <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> he's, he's playing video games on the porch swing as the cordless phone rings and rings and rings. And it would appear that his Game Boy dies. His Game Boy oh. runs out of batteries or something. I don't know. Remember the Game Boy? Oh, I sure do. And Paul and I were actually just talking about that exact model of the Game Boy a couple days ago. So it was right. I, See, I never had a Game Boy. And it wasn't... The problem, I think, with Game Boys was you could not really share them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you could you could share a you could share a console because you could like have two controllers. But if you had a Game Boy, it was your Game Boy. You didn't really like hand it to other people to share. So I never really did much Game Boying other than playing Tetris. Yeah, <sighs> I think it was the late nineties when there was like a shareable Game Boy. I seem to recall that it kind of had this primitive wireless connection where you had to be close enough to the other person with their Game Boy, and then you guys could play together. Yeah, before Wi-Fi kids and uh, and RF, there was infrared, uh, and you had to actually have line of sight to the other infrared receiver. Yeah, 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 that's right. You had to be, like, pointing it at each other. Oh, my God. No, I feel like we're talking about shit from the Stone Age here. (laughs) Right? You had to take a piece of wood and tie a rock to it, and then you had a club that you could beat dinosaurs with. But you had to have line of sight. Line of sight. Now we all have supercomputers in our pockets and we act like this is just normal. <laughs> anyway, uh, the allegedly Garrett's father comes out and says that uh, <laughs> he first of all, he says being grounded means no video games. Uh, Garrett sasses him and his dad says, well, you have the booth nerve. And then he informs him that that phone call was Coach Tuna and that Garrett needs to go meet him at the soda shop. And he's making an exception to the grounding. And Garrett does not want to go. Obviously, he knows he's getting kicked off the team. Yeah. 
And then as he stands up to go, he rips his shirt like it gets snagged on something on the little love seat thing. It rips and he's all mad. It's his favorite shirt. (laughs) He tries to go upstairs to change, but his dad's like, no, you better get your ass in gear. So Garrett has to go get told that he's off the team in a ripped ass shirt. What a crap. Yes, and he has, dad is timing him. He has 30 minutes. And I, we close out we close out this scene with a really nice shot of the hanging flower baskets. <laughs> what was that all about? The camera's camera in on the flower baskets as we go uh, as we cut away. Uh, I we cut to the like a baldy was going to pop out of the flower basket or something. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, we go to, we cut to the pool. Uh, Mila's thanking Sydney for the lesson on treading water. They sit, and I was like, where is everyone? Usually the pool has like a half dozen people at it. It is very quiet. Sydney accidentally mentions Garrett. Mila starts getting depressed. And then then she's like, better get used to it. What is she, Sandy? (laughs) I know, that's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Mila is wearing that uh, blue and white, huge, oversized striped shirt we talked about earlier, kind of as a (laughs) cover-up. And she mentions that it's Garrett's shirt. Sydney rips a hole in it. And then they rip it apart uh, <laughs> while singing The Way We Were by Aretha Franklin. They, and- like, they turn it into this game where they're just going to destroy the shirt. Like, like a couple of pit bull puppies playing tug of war, just brutalizing it. And they're having a great time. And then also, while this is going on, there's one other person present who's like, Yes! the employee like back in the snack booth or whatever it is and he's watching them destroy this shirt with this great look on his face like he was having a blast huh he was he was like all right yeah all right jerry calm down Well, we cut to Swan Soda Shop, where Coach Tuna is waiting for Garrett with a uh, an intense, braced look upon his face. A synth version of the way we were is playing as Garrett comes in. It's so somber. The coach, the coach is in profile at the bar, and the main doors two Swans are in the background. But this music is like, <laughs> it's. And Garrett enters as the violins come in, his head bowed and a look of set determination on Coach Tuna's face as he holds the coffee mug and turns to Garrett. And we pause for a moment on Garrett and we get this slightly echoey voiceover to remind us what the coach told him about if he gets into any more trouble, he was going to get kicked off the team for the rest of the season. The handheld camera goes a little off kilter from Garrett's point of view as he approaches Coach Tuna. <laughs> Tuna Tuna glares right down the barrel as we go to commercial. <laughs> oh, when we come back, we're at the tool and die again where JT pulls Callie up from where she's working on something and starts acting like he's interviewing her for TV. And he pretends he's giving her a wrench as an Academy Award for fixing his bike. It is so awkward. It's very it's so awkward. Oh, I've been I've been looking. <laughs> she goes, oh, I've been looking for this. And she takes the wrench. Then there's this incredibly awkward long pause as they wait for Neil's wristwatch alarm to go off. Yeah. And then they get their sound cue. And Neil says, we have to get back to work. We got to go. We got to go now. Barrick asks them as they're heading out, uh, out of the garage, a few casual questions about what they're working on. JT jokes that at sundown, they turn into teenage werewolf astrophysicists. 
beware the full moon and our astro particle howl, he says. And then they both start howling like crazy as they leave. Boys. And my notes, literally my notes say, it may not make much sense, but it is interesting. And after they're gone, Beric remarks to Callie that they're too smart for their own good. And he wonders if they can tell the difference between science fiction and science fact. And she's like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, they're fooling around some pretty grown up stuff. Coming out of Beric's mouth, these words sound dangerous. Yeah. Callie asks what he's talking about, and he says things like secondary fission. And she she sarcastically asks, oh, you can also find time to design space shuttles? And he goes, the Viking 3. Yeah, but it was just his hobby. He, yeah. he helped design, just design the Viking 3, but just for funsies. Ugh. Uh, he... It is. It should be noted. He has her backed up against a shelf along the wall throughout this whole scene, and it is creepy. Ugh. Also, like I just have to note, Beric is really beginning to remind me of this coworker I had back when I was like nineteen or twenty. I worked at this pet store, and she would just do this thing where she would try to one up everyone it didn't matter what you said what kind of experience you had had she would just one up you immediately and like try to outshine you and it got to the point like she was so obviously lying about everything it got to the point where all of the other people i worked with we would just conspire together to make up these insane stories about shit we had done just to see how she would try to one up us and i remember one time it got to the point where i was telling her that I had done, like, a skydiving stunt for a movie, but I had, like, fireworks strapped to my back so that when they went off, I was doing, like, somersaults in the air. Like, it was just so absurd. Like, I clearly had not done this. And she was like, oh, I've done that, except I had to do it, like, three times to get the take right. And I was like, bitch, whatever. <laughs> You're such a liar. <laughs> anyway, that's what Barrack reminds me of. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand that impulse at all. I do not get it. I don't <clears throat> It's like... Everyone can tell that you're lying. Like, everyone knows it's fake, dude. Come on. It's so weird. Anyway, I wonder where she is now and what she's up to and how many strange things she has done with her life. It's probably a lot, given, or or she's still working at a pet store. Probably that, yeah. We get get back to Garrett. Coach is suspending him for four weeks. And if he can stay out of trouble, keep his nose clean, as Coach Tuna puts it, he can come back for the playoffs. Yes, and Garrett's kind of mad, but he kind of tries to accept it as a good compromise. He tries to, he makes some comment about like, well, at least I'll have a lot of free time on my hands. And the coach is like, no, you won't. Like, I mean, benched, you're going to be at every practice and every game and every team team meeting, but you're going to be sitting your ass on the bench <laughs> watching everybody else. <laughs> so Garrett agrees and the coach tells uh. him if he messes up one more time, he can forget the playoffs too. And then he walks out of the walks out of the cafe as the like creepy serial killer music plays. <laughs> and then as he's leaving, Sydney and Mila come in and they're like having a great time together, laughing and joking. They see Garrett across the restaurant and they pause. Garrett is sitting at the bar with his head in his hands, and the girls hum the way we were to each other. Uh, Mila seems curious. Sydney obviously sadistic like <laughs> she's she's like how much pain can i inflict in this particular moment it's so crazy they sit at the bar across from him and begin taunting him the phone rings like to the restaurant sydney answers it for jazz for some reason it and- should be noted jazz is not in this episode <laughs> 
No, Sydney just kind of yells off screen that she's going to get it. She's like, I'll get it, Jazz. Also, the phone is shaped like a swan. It's a swan phone. It's yep. a swan phone. Yep. Uh, it's Garrett's dad. And he says that Garrett is late getting home, so he better get his ass home soon. There is, I feel like I should point out, there is a girl in a yellow shirt behind Mila and Sydney, up, up kind of on a level behind them. She is sitting against the wall having an animated conversation with someone who is not there. <laughs> I did not. I did you not. Need to go back and watch this. It's only like 10 seconds at most. But she like goes up the steps, she sits down, and then she starts having an animated conversation, and there is obviously not anybody there. Wow, like now, if it were set now, you would assume she had earbuds in and was talking to someone on her phone, but like back then, right. no excuse. She's talking to a ghost. Sydney gloats delightedly as she takes this message, then she tells Garrett his dad wants him home and he's busted for being late. Sydney and Mila share a laugh. Garrett goes head down on the bar with his torn shirt exposing his side, and we roll credits. Oh, how tragic for Garrett. He's really, really hit a wall. Have have his powers as Swan's Crossing's rich bad boy who is untouchable, has he finally exhausted this strength at last? We shall find out. I don't, I don't know how he's going to make it through the rest of high school, frankly. Like, freshman year hasn't even started yet, and he's already doomed. Who is our psychopath of the week? Oh, Sydney. Oh, yeah. Sydney definitely. Like, she is so evil in this episode. It's great. It's it's fantastic. High-quality evil Sydney. We had six new fake swans. Wow. We had the bed swan, uh, pool swan from the credits, three pool swans in the Mila Sydney scene, and the swan phone. Wow, we haven't had this many swans in a single episode in a long time. Quite some time. Uh, it brings our running count to two imaginary swans, 24 actual swans, and 66 other swans. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Um, what are your predictions for next time? You know, I don't feel like there's a ton to go off of here. So we got the feds in this one. I'm going to say the baldies are going to be in the next one. Uh, also, talking about how close Professor Van is getting, uh, I think we get Neil and JT back at the back at Neil's or at JT's room, working on the computer quite a bit. I think we go back to the old dynamic of Glory is interrupting Neil and JT doing fancy physics work. I do think I think there's a problem. I think there's some sort of problem. I mean, it, 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 they, the, the Fed said that they had most of the components, so I think they're missing some components or something. They've got to get more components. Maybe they need the cesium. I think we get more Sandy and Owen in the next episode. Maybe Sandy's, Sandy is settling in on her look. Uh, they're working on some songs. I mean, it doesn't... Here's the thing. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, uh, Grant has done something that, mayoral, that uh, Mayor Rutledge for Mayor is very upset about. So there's a there's a there's a political thing that happens in the next episode. So we get lots of or not lots of, but some of Muffy uh and the fallout from or from Garrett's arrest and how it's affecting the campaign. Yeah, we've got a lot of we got a lot of Mila JT or we got a lot of Mila and Garrett and Sydney in this episode. So I think they'll be in the next episode, just not featured as prominently. All right, all right. Um, are, are we going to hear anything about the the stage? Uh, yes, you will hear things about the stage. 
Okay. That will be a thing that you hear about. <laughs> All right. Because the stage has sort of disappeared for like a week. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes back. It comes back. All right. We'll say that. Also, some surprising things that allegedly are planned to happen on the stage that will upset you. <laughs> oh. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, shortly here in the next few episodes, uh, we take a turn into something that's even worse than Barrack, if you can believe that. Oh, no. Yeah. Let, let me tell you, let me stress this up front now for you and all of our listeners. It doesn't end up going where you think it's going to go, and all the children are safe. I just want to tell you all. Are we headed towards more warning labels on episodes? We are absolutely headed towards more warning labels on episodes. Uh, oh, I no. mean, basically, the Matt Gates of Swans Crossing appears, and it is not good. But oh! but no one oh. gets victimized. Oh, God. All right. Just so you know, so that you don't quit the podcast when these episodes start happening. Oh my gosh. Everyone's... 1992, what were you doing? 1992 was a terrible time. Terrible. Oh, jeez. Um, so that's something to look forward to this season, for sure. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, It Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swans Crossing. Yes, and if you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod and on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod. And if you are following any of the other Swans Crossing actors on their social media feeds, have them get ahead of us to come in for an interview. I already, listen, I contacted all of them except Sarah Michelle Geller because I have to like call her publicist and I'm not going to call a professional woman and explain to her that I have a podcast about Swans Crossing and I want to talk to Sarah. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, so I won't do that. But listen, Sarah, if for some reason you're out there listening to this and you would like to do an interview, you can feel free to contact me uh, on the social meds. Also, I was not able to track down uh, the young woman who played Nancy, unfortunately. She has managed to disappear entirely from the internet, which kudos to her <laughs> for pulling off. I got a hold of everybody else, though, and we will see uh, what happens. Well, until the next, until we meet again. May your Game Boys always remain in good working order, and may your shirts remain intact. (laughs) (laughs) At sundown, we turn into teenage werewolf physicists. If we don't take a giant leap for mankind right now, we'll never meet our schedule. Beware the full moon and our astro particle howl. I better look up the molecular structure for garlic. Ow!